Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you guys are here. I'm Robert Kelly, one of the pastors at uh, the church, and uh, thanks for coming out today. Wanted to uh, kind of open us up here with a word of prayer. So would you pray with me? Lord, we're asking that you would help each one of us here to hear uh, what you have for us. We know that in the way that only you can, you, you, you will speak directly to each of our individual hearts. And uh, that's what we need, Lord. We want to have not just a time where we learn a few things about you from your word. That, that is great. Uh, what we want is, is an experience of you, an encounter with you that you, we would know, Lord, that you were speaking directly to us, changing us from the inside out, renewing our hearts, making us more and more like Jesus. We pray that you would do that now uh, through your word, and as we uh, later go into the Lord's Supper, pray that, Father, through this time that we've invested, uh, we would come to know and to love you more fully. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this series that we've been in is called Be Rich, and I'm really glad uh, that you're joining, joining us here. This is the last week of Be Rich, and uh, we're taking the ideas and the outlines of this series from Andy Stanley, and we're participating with dozens of other churches who are also doing this series at the same time. But this is a series about learning how to be rich, not get rich, but we're trying to figure out how can we be really good, rich people. And so I want to review because I know it's the last week and not everyone has been able to make each week. And uh, some of you are brand new here this morning. So the series got its beginning in a simple Bible text, 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, command those who are rich. So the apostle Paul, he says, listen, I've got special instructions that you ought to give to the rich people. Which, of course, as soon as we hear this, we go, wow, those rich people really should listen up because it certainly doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to any of you. And yet, over the last few weeks, we've been seeing, uh, answering this question, are we in fact rich? Now, instead of thinking about it from the perspective of us being in the top 1% of all earners in the world, which... All of us are, if you make more than $48,000 or more a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. It's not thinking about it from that perspective. Instead of that, this morning I want us to think about our wealth in terms of our problems. All right? Just think through some of your problems. So for me, I have bad cell phone coverage <laughs> right now. And I'm really frustrated by it because like one time a day at least, 
I will completely drop off their network. And it doesn't happen to the same, the, the similar phones on my same plan. So we're driving down the road and I'll just drop off and I, I get, it says no service. Have you even seen that? It's been years since this should happen and it says no service. And for like five or even 10 minutes in a whole day, I'm not able to make any calls or to surf the web or anything like that at all. Now, when I have a problem like this, I have to remind myself that this is a rich person problem. This is a rich person problem. And my, my wife, you know, she has a much older phone. It's like three years old. And I noticed that the pictures when she's, you know, she's taking pictures of stuff and like, they're, they're just, they're just not that good. The new cameras, man, they are just so darn good. And I have to remind myself, this is a rich person problem. Maybe for you, it's limited vacation time because your boss is only willing to pay you for not working for two weeks. That's unacceptable. How can they only pay you for two weeks of no work? This, of course, is a rich person problem. Or you go to Starbucks and you find out they have no almond milk. <laughs> what do they want me to use, coconut milk? Oh my goodness, I certainly can't use that other milk. But no, I mean, this is a rich person problem. Rising healthcare costs. I hear about this all the time and understand why. You know, these things are just, their prices are skyrocketing all the time, 18% increases. So you mean it's getting really expensive to have someone aggregate our money in such a way that we can receive treatments for catastrophic illnesses that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Imagine that for a moment, hundreds of thousands of dollars for some of these treatments so that you could live. These increasing costs are actually a rich person problem. There's plenty of people that don't have to worry about rising healthcare costs because they can't get it. They don't even have access to it. So we're gonna, I want us to practice something today, right? Here, here's what I'm trying to teach myself to say more and more. I have a rich person problem. All right, so when we start talking about our problems, if it is a rich person problem, I want us to just say, listen, I have a rich person. Let's repeat that together, ready? I have a rich person problem. All right, let's do that again because that wasn't enthusiastic. <laughs> I have a rich person problem. So if your problem has anything to do with weeds in your yard or your remodel that isn't going the way you wanted it to or the problems you're having with your housekeeper or your pool getting closed up for the winter or your hotel reservations or your airline flight or your boss who simply won't give you a raise worth what you are worth, you could get to say, I have a rich person problem. So many of our actual genuine headaches are actually rich people problems as well. How many of our health problems are related to the fact that we will now live longer because of expensive medications and surgeries that are available to us? So we will actually live longer. You'd say, well, that's the problem still. You know, I'm still gonna suffer, I'm still gonna die. That's right, but you would have died much earlier. These are still problems caused 
by our incredible wealth. Most, I mean, we would never be living this long if it wasn't for the incredible benefits that our wealth has provided. Or how many of us are living sedentary lives which are causing other health problems because we're not trying to eke out an existence from the dust of the earth anymore, just trying to get by. We can eat an overabundance of any type of food we want and drink as much as we want. All of these are rich people problems. After that, we established that we were in fact rich people. Then we looked at the side effects in week two of uh, wealth, which was denial and discontentment. So if you want to pick up that message, it's online. And we, start to get, we started to get introduced to the idea of the migration of hope. And that's when our hope begins to shift away from God and toward money. We saw this in 1 Timothy 6.17. He says, command those who are rich. But the, the key phrase here was, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And then last week, we learned that in order to stop and reverse this migration of hope, that we needed to pre-decide. We needed to pre-decide to give more and to serve more. So that was captured in last week's message. Now, for the last week, for the final week in this series, we get to take this key phrase, the present world. Command those who are rich in this present world. And I like this because, you know, we, we kind of read past this little phrase, but it, it, it is really somewhat important because he could have said, command those who are rich, period. See, I even highlighted the period for you. We could just put it in there. There's the arrow for you. We could have, he could have just said, just command those who are rich. Why did he have to add any qualifier to it? He had to tell them, no, 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 rich in this present world. That's who I want you to talk to. The people who are rich, not just, not just rich, but rich right here, right now, in the present world. What other world is there? Now, of course, you already know the answer to that because Paul here is recognizing one of the most important teachings of Christian theology. There is, in fact, another world. There is an age yet to come. There is a more permanent and more important world to come. In fact, some 97% of people believe that something exists beyond this world. And if you were to take all of the people from through all of time in every language group on every continent throughout all of history, you would find that almost everyone has always believed in something that happens after death that there is another world. Most everyone really does believe this. And some say, oh, it's a, it's a throwback to a more superstitious age. Or it's been hardwired into the human psyche, into the human soul, a longing, a desire, a knowledge, an innate knowledge that there is something else besides this present age. But I'm not really sure, even though we all believe it, I'm not really sure that we let this truth sink down deep into our souls. I mean, what if, what if our eternity is dependent in some way? What if it's dependent, what if our eternity is dependent in some large way, some important way on our ability to be good, rich people? 
What if that's what Paul is trying to tell us here? That the age to come is somehow going to be shaped for us by whether or not we are good at being rich. 1 Timothy 6.19, he says, in this way, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. Now, what, in what way? In this way, he's referring to what we looked at last week, which was to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In all of those ways, we get to lay up treasure for ourselves. I think that's a key idea here, right? He's saying you get to lay up treasure for yourself. There's still actually a way for you to pursue treasure for yourself. It's an unblushing promise of the scripture. So rich people, what if more is at stake here than we ever realized? What if, in fact, what really matters isn't simply all the stuff you can see around you, but the stuff that is yet to come? What if you really can lay up treasure for yourself, real, lasting riches? I'm not talking about piles of gold. I'm talking about what actually matters to the human soul. What if you can store up those kinds of riches in the age yet to come and you can do it here and now? If you're interested in that kind of, of an investment strategy, then this verse has something to say to you. If you don't care, if you only care about what happens in the next couple of decades and don't listen to, to anything else that I have to say here this morning, if you're wondering what might happen in 100 years or 1,000 years, then this verse is speaking to you. And he says it's a firm foundation for the coming age because the decisions that we make today, I mean, take that phrase, as a firm foundation for the coming age. Why does he emphasize the coming age? Because the decisions we make today will impact our status and our standing in the age to come. This is a, a massive investment plan. And he tells us, so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. How many of you want to grab onto that promise? To grab onto the life that is truly life. To seize that. I mean, I guess you could phrase it in the negative. How many of you want to take a pass on that promise? How many of you would rather sit this one out and say, you know what, I don't think I'll take hold of the life that is truly life. Isn't there something in your soul that has already betrayed this truth? Something that you say, you know what, this life can't be all there is. It just can't be. I know it somewhere deep in my soul. I know it simply can't be that this can't be what it's all about. I refuse to accept that this is all that this is all that it's about. Good news. It's not. There is an age to come and you can take hold of a life there. Jesus spoke about this very same idea with, and he told an elaborate, uh, he elaborated on it with a parable. Luke 12, verse 16. If you could open up in a Bible there, they're kind of in the seats around you, or you could pull up on, a, uh, on an app. Luke 12, 16, and it says, Jesus told a parable. A parable, by the way, is just a story that Jesus tells. 
he kind of makes up a story to, you know, to tell a, a, some important, significant spiritual truth. It's just a made-up story. And so the characters here, uh, they bear no resemblance. Any, any resemblance is just, uh, what, what is that saying they give in movies? You know, it's, just, it's not really true, but it might be them, but it's not really them. Anyway, that's, that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, this isn't really about you. It's a parable about other people that are sort of not like you, but, you know, hopefully you'll see yourself in the story. And so he tells it in such a way as to draw us into the experience of the characters. He told them this parable, verse 16, Luke 12. The ground of a certain man, rich man, yielded an abundant harvest. All right, stop, stop right there for just a second. So the rich guy has an abundant harvest. And so I guess you could say that this story is about a rich guy who's got a lot of, got a lot of stuff, and he has such a great year that he gets a whole lot more stuff. Aren't you pulling for him? I mean, aren't you just so excited for the rich man? I mean, this is how it goes around the Thanksgiving table, right? You're hanging out with family you don't really see, and they're telling you about all the blessings that they're experiencing, and you're like, way to go, right? You're super excited that the rich guy just got richer. No? You're not, like, cheering for him? All right, so anyway, because, you know, there's jealousy and there's envy and all of that, but anyway, you get the point, right? He's, he's got, he has a lot, and he's getting a whole lot more, and most of us aren't super like, well, whatever. I guess that's going to happen to someone, rich guy out there, because rich get richer, poor don't. So then there's a problem here. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Oh, man. I feel so bad for the guy. I mean, don't you just feel terrible? He has no place to store his piles and piles and piles of wealth. I mean, that would be like the guy saying, you know, I just keep taking all of it. I had to quit doing this thing because I just got tired of bringing all my money to the bank. It was so hard for me. All these bags of gold, I have nowhere to put it anymore. Like, you know, you're like, oh, too bad for you. I could help you with that. You know, you could bring them by my place. I'll store them, spend them for you, lighten up your load a little bit. We don't really get too excited about this. But then... He's got a great idea, and I, I, this, is, this to me is just sheer brilliance. He says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, you got to stop reading right there. Don't look, no, no, you can't look up. Don't keep reading because you're going to ruin the surprise. But so here's the deal. <laughs> just think through the story here for, for just a minute with this guy, okay? Because this is pretty cool. The rich guy, he's got to come up with a problem. And so he solves his problem. He's going to tear down his barns. And now, let's just say for a minute that you, you, can, you can just be kind of hopeful for this guy, that something good is going to happen. Most cultures around the world, including ours, generally view the creation of wealth as a blessing. We generally understand that when this thing happens, God clearly let it happen. So like when you get a big raise or you come into a big windfall that you weren't expecting, don't you thank God for it? Don't you be like, oh, thank you, God. I know this is a gift from the hand of God. Well, even more so in Jesus' day, if your ground produced a bounty crop, a bumper crop, 
It was because God gave you rain in season. It was because God gave you the right conditions. It was because God gave you the sun to shine. And so you got to, if you had drought, you'd be like, oh man, God doesn't like me anymore. If you had disease hit your fields, you'd say, God doesn't really like me anymore. And so you would have seen this as an incredible blessing, which by the way, even if you can't feel for the guy and you don't really like sympathize with the rich guy getting richer, you would feel that way if it was for you. You'd be like, all right, I'm pretty pumped that God has just poured out his blessings. He's opened up the floodgates of heaven. We use all sorts of like language from the Bible to describe what we experience and how excited we are that this is happening. And so, of course, you can't not but look at this guy in some way and say, all right, you know what? The rich are getting richer, but I got to tell you the truth. He seems to be pretty smart. I mean, God blessed him, but he is using his own smarts to figure out how to leverage this bounty for the future. Because you would do the same thing, right? I mean, you would set up, you know, you'd, you'd get into a big old pile of cash and you'd be like, what can I do with this big pile of money? I'll put on an addition. I'll invest it in the home. My equity will go up. This will be great. I'll take a little bit. I'll put it in the college fund for the kids. That'll secure their future. I'll put it in my retirement account. This is great planning because if I can take all of today's bounty and invest it wisely, if I can store it, if I can save it, if I can invest it, then I'll be able to use it later. And I will be able to, like verse 19 says, eat, drink, and be merry. How is that not a fantastic goal for life? What else are we trying to do here if it's not eat, drink, and be merry? And then, of course, the twist comes. And this is the part. I hope you didn't read ahead. But here it is. Luke 12, 20. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Wow, that seems harsh. You fool. He's like, God comes on the scene. He's like, oh, you're such an idiot. I mean, that seems a little harsh to me. Idiot. I kind of feel like he did the best he could do with a, with a bumper crop. I mean, that, that to me feels, what should he do? Let it rot in the field? I mean, he had to collect it. He had to bring it in. He doesn't have enough barns. What else do you do? You replace your barns with bigger ones. How could this be a bad plan? I mean, call him anything. Call him greedy. Call him, but not a fool. He's not an idiot. He's a smart dude. He's a good businessman. You could call him a whole lot of other, other words, but not an idiot. He's not a fool. This is how I feel. I'm looking at this thing. I'm thinking, what could he have done any better? Like, <laughs> what other plan is there? Like, he actually did what seems to me to be the smartest thing. I mean, did he really do anything differently than most every single one of us would do? given a similar circumstance. But I think we get it why this was so idiotic to God when you think about the rest of the verse. He says, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who is going to get it? You know, you, you guys have heard it said, right? No matter how much money you have, no matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, are no matter how soundly middle class you are, no matter how much wealth you have, when you die... You all leave exactly the same amount after you're dead. You know how much that is, right? All of it. Every last dime you leave behind. None of it goes with you. We all know this. 
You leave it all. And someone else will get the money. Who will get it? Now, here's the kicker. According to the scriptures, we do not get credit for any money we leave behind. We don't get credit for that. We only get credit for what we give away. See, this guy gave away all that he had in the end. But he didn't give it away because he was generous. He gave it away because he was dead. <laughs> and every one of us is going to do the same thing. Will we give it away because we're generous or will we give it away because we are dead and you are going to give it all away? You're absolutely going to. One way or the other. And it could be as soon as tomorrow. Now, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but I'm going to give it to my kids. Oh, well, that should end the conversation, right? Because it feels like it does. Oh, oh, okay, you're going to give it to your kids. And then I guess this doesn't apply to you, right? Because that's exactly how the mentality is. Of course, if I give it to the kids. By saying it, we somehow assume that that justifies our lives that are filled with hoarding and self-centeredness. Are we really certain that leaving your kids all that money isn't going to create for them the very same problems you're struggling with? Are you really sure you're not going to just put the, the idolatry that we have toward wealth in the center of their hearts? Are you sure you're not going to be working against God's plan for each and every one of them? Because I'm pretty sure, remember, this was a parable, which means Jesus could have ended the story that way. He could have just said, oh, and then the rich guy, he died. But good news, don't worry, he left it to his kids and became the hero of the story because he did that. But that's not how this went down. Remember, made-up story. Jesus could have put any details he wanted to in here. And I'm pretty sure that if he wanted the story to end that way, it would have. When you give away your money, you will lose your grip on money and it will lose its grip on you. This is so important. When you view your wealth through the lens of eternity, when we can look at it and say, wait, it's not about the next couple of decades, then we give it away you will lose your grip on it, and it will lose its grip on you. He gets right to the heart, even of what Paul was teaching us in 1 Timothy, back down in verse 33, Luke 12, 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, give it away so that you can get treasure in heaven. He is talking about a closeness to God, having our hearts centered on him. He's not talking about bags of money. Gold is useless in heaven. That's why the streets are paved with it. That's the imagery there. It's not so we think that we got piles and piles and piles of money. There's paving blocks in heaven. It's meaningless. Wealth, the kind of wealth that we understand as wealth becomes meaningless in heaven. And we, it is replaced with a new type of treasure. 
one that represents life that really is life. Think of it that way. Why would Jesus have died? Why would Jesus have come knowing what Jesus knew about the Father and about this world and about eternity? Why would he come and die for us? If it was all about this world, it would make no sense. How could Jesus give up everything, give up his life? What was he saving us from? What was he redeeming us to? He was able to give up his life because he saw it as an investment in eternity with you. That's why Jesus was able to do it. It would make no sense if it was only for this day and age. It would make no sense if because once we died, we were eaten by worms and nothing else happened. Jesus laid down his life. He was willing to give it all because it was an investment in the next world. And the number one contender for your heart is your money. The best strategy for breaking the power of money is to give it away. If you want your heart drawn closer to him, then give it away. And we're never going to be good at it if we follow the dominant cultural path, which is all about consumption. If we give sporadically and spontaneously, like we said last week, or if we give sparingly, then we will be lousy, rich people. But if we make giving a priority, our first fruits, we give first and we give on a percent and we give progressively, which means as we get richer, our percent of giving can increase, then we will get better and better at being rich. You want to get started on it? It's simple. Pick a percent, whatever percent. Pick it this year, give it this year. Add 1% next year and see what happens. And see how many years you can do that. And see what it, how it changes your heart. You will never miss money that you give away. You will never miss it. Andy Stanley, he said, listen, he assured us. He said, you will miss money that you spend, you will miss money that you waste, you will miss money that you poorly invest, and you will miss money that you give to your brother-in-law. So avoid all of those things, but you will never miss money that you give away. Consider it the greatest investment strategy that you can imagine. Where else can you give in a temporal way and receive an eternal impact? Investment experts, they love to talk about compounding and saving each year and, you know, getting a little here and a little there and a little there so that you have a lot later on in your life when you really need it. They love talking about that way, and it's all great advice, but they simply don't look far enough down the road. They're making plans for the next 20 or 30 or 50 years at best, and Jesus is telling us to consider the next 10,000 years and the next 50,000 years. If you want to be good at being rich, we need to take God seriously and look to the example of Christ. So we've had four lessons in this series, one for each week. Lesson one was do good for those who can't or won't do good for you. Countercultural, very important lesson, week one. Week two, don't place your hope in riches, but in the one who richly provides. If we put our hope in wealth, 
we will not actually be drawn ever closer to God who will provide all that our soul needs. Lesson three, since you have more, do more and give more. That message was filled with all sorts of really practical stuff. If you want to learn more about it, it's online. And lesson four from this week, viewing wealth through the lens of eternity loosens our grip on it and its grip on us. You can imagine what it would be like if we lived in this kind of way more and more. The impact we would have, the lives that could be changed, the lost people that could hear the message of Christ's love. How many people who are under-resourced would have the resources they need? How many of the poor would receive the blessing of God through you? How many of the fantastic organizations that are doing great work would be resourced in ways that they never have before because of you? could imagine the impact. Imagine just how the reputation of the church and Christians would change if we actually started doing and living the way that Jesus told us to. If we simply followed this one instruction, it would change everything. The world would recognize that we want something for them, not from them. They would see it and they would know it because it would be true of all of us. So we've been practicing this over the course of this series. We've had a challenge every single week. Here's a quick review of our challenges. Give More Money was our week one. We tried to raise $8,700 by everybody giving $29 or more. All of that money was going to go directly to helping the foster care offices of Nassau County care for the families, the workers, and the kids that are in the foster care system. This has been a fantastic challenge. You guys stepped up in a huge way and you smacked it out of the park. 8,700 was our goal. We have over 250 people that have participated in it and we have raised over $22,000 already for that goal. So that is pretty fantastic. You can still get in on it. We also, by the way, during this time, counted up, the, we finally got the number from our crisis pregnancy baby bottle drive. Just as a kind of side note, it wasn't part of the Be Rich Challenge, but it's a challenge that we were also taking part in a month or so ago. And during that, we raised $4,767, which is going to help women who, are, who find themselves in uh, very difficult circumstances with unplanned and often unwanted pregnancies. Uh, the Crisis Pregnancy Center helps uh, them find ways that they can keep their baby or they can put their babies up for adoption, but it helps them with resources, training, and money so that we can make it a, a possibility for them to make a decision for life. So we raised 4767 which is the highest of any baby bottle drive since they started doing them since 2014. So you guys did a fantastic job on that as well. Now... We did the Give More Time, which was a service project based, and we still have another week or so for this, and I know some of you haven't logged your hours. We are up to 60 hours already for people that are, have done some sort of project outside the walls of Beacon. So we're super excited about those 60 hours, and we know that we had a great trip. 17 people went to the Bowery Mission uh, this last week. We have another trip to the Bowery Mission. There's a sheet outside, or you can go help a neighbor. There's all sorts of ways you could uh, get involved in that. If you've done something and you haven't logged your time, please log your time so we can keep track of how many hours cumulatively we've given back to the community. Then we have Give More Gifts. This was last week. And this was a stocking drive, and the goal was to bring in 300 
stockings. We've got organizations that are looking for these stockings, depending on, they're going to give them to kids in need in the Bronx and here in Hempstead. Um, we're not doing so well on this one. So I think we might have like 30 stockings out there, which means Chris and I are going to have a lot of stockings to go get this week if we don't. I'm going to assume it's because of Thanksgiving. Good news, we still have another week on uh, this challenge. And so uh, by next Sunday, if you could bring in those stockings, that would be a huge deal. Our new challenge for this week is to give more food. And we want to collect a ton of food, literally a ton of food. And to do that, we would need every person here to bring in 10 pounds of food for next week. So stocking and food if you didn't get your stocking done in advance. And this is going to go to some of the food shelters that are looking for uh, trying to collect uh, some food around this time of the year. 10 pounds could be a lot. I'm going with canned goods. So I'm going to try to nail this as quickly as I can. You guys can do light stuff if you want and bring in lots and lots of bags. I'm bringing in like giant cans of beans um, or something. So you guys can pass out that uh, you know, that uh, thing is uh, the, the instructions for the food drive. Let's finish strong. We have one more week for all of these challenges. If you haven't participated and you, or you want to keep going with your involvement, stockings is a big area, service project a big area, and of course, the food drive. Let's uh, knock this one out of the park as we practice what it means to be rich. None of these resources are staying put here at Beacon. Every single one of them, the money, the food, the, uh, it's all going out to families in need through many of the organizations that we have partnered with. So we would love for you to be a part of this with us. I'm going to ask the band to come up. They're going to lead us in a couple of songs as, they prepare, as we prepare our hearts to go to the Lord's table. And as they come up, I'm just going to uh, ask, uh, ask that you would pray with me. So let's pray. Lord, we're asking that you um, would uh, continue to take these, the truths that we've learned from your word and impact us with them in a, in a powerful way. We don't want to just leave here today and kind of drift away from the things that we've been hearing and the things that we've been challenged with. We want to become different kinds of people. We want to become recklessly generous kinds of people. And I'm asking, Lord, that, um, that you would make this true of us. Lord, through these, these uh, challenges, we pray that we would get the practice we need, but Lord, that it wouldn't stop here, and it wouldn't be a single time of the year, but Lord, every day, as followers of Jesus, we would learn what it means to give deeply and profoundly, to give in significant and increasing ways, to give in ways that others would look at and think is is foolish. That's what we want. That's who we want to be, Lord, and we're praying uh, that you'd make it real of us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.